the story of Zechariah, who was the father of John the Baptist. And John the Baptist was probably one of Jesus' friends for most of his lifetime. He didn't just meet him when he was baptized by him when he was 30 years old. Anyway, this is the story of Zechariah from verse 5. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were upright in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commandments and regulations blamelessly. But they had no children, because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well along in years. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshippers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you want to give him the name John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from birth. Many of the people of Israel will, will he bring back to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, How can I be sure of this? I am an old man and my wife is well along in years. The angel answered, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their proper time. And Father, as we reflect on this story, we pray that you will speak to us today. And we would know the reasons why you went to such incredible lengths to reveal yourself ultimately in this person, Jesus. And we pray that as we leave this place, like those men walking on the Emmaus Road, our hearts will burn within us because we've met with you. And to that end we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Just a quick... Uh, uh, if you look at the um, last verse or two of Malachi, which is the last verse in the, Bible, in the, in the Old Testament, it says, uh, and God has really kind of got pretty exasperated with his people at this time. He says in verse 5 of chapter 4 of Malachi, See, I will send you the prophet Elijah before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, or else I will come and strike the land with a curse. 400 years later, Gabriel speaks to Zechariah in the Holy of Holies and uses that phrase, uh, that John will be used in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous and to make people ready for the coming of the Lord. That's 400 plus years. 
And I'm getting a sense this morning that God's got a word for us and that says, do not give up because you don't see it happening yet. Do not give up because nothing seems to be changing. Do not give up because you're not getting instant gratification from me or you're not getting what you want right now. It was 400 years plus from the time that word was uttered in Malachi and to the time it was delivered to Zechariah. Flipping quickly back to Noah, a man of incredible courage. He was called righteous because I think he was somebody who was open to God's spirit to speak to. And Noah has to build this monstrous monstrosity of an ark. And it took a great deal of courage. And it took a great deal of perseverance. And it took a great deal of strength to do what he was called to do for a long time before anything actually happened. And Zechariah is this guy who grew up in a, as, as part of the priestly tribe, but he grew up uh, in a town that nobody knew. We don't really know his, where he came from. But his heart was devoted to the God that he knew. And he became a priest and he served in his local town. And then it, by lot, some, they, they, they drew lots to say who's going to go into the Holy of Holies, who's going to be uh, the priest who's going to light the incense. And this old man, Zechariah, is given the task of huge honor and privilege. Probably the moment of his life would have been when I went into that place, fear and trembling before the holiest God, because this was the place on earth where God was most present for them in this building in the Holy of Holies. It was a place of terror and it was a place of, of awe and wonder and they took it very, very seriously. But it had also become religious. God had become a fearful God. God had become somebody who they were trying to please. If you go back to Malachi, he says, I don't want your sick animals. I don't want offerings that are just ritual. I want your hearts. And so Zechariah goes into this Holy of Holies. And, and I love what they say, what uh, Luke tells us about Zechariah, because I find it very humbling. He was upright in the sight of the Lord, observing all the Lord's commandments and regulations blamelessly. And they had no children, he and Elizabeth. And what is that, you know, think about that for a minute. Every couple... Zechariah and Elizabeth, no exception, said we want children. We'd love to be parents. God, may we have children. All our friends have children and they remain childless. And Zechariah and Elizabeth continue to walk with the Lord even when they don't get their heart's desire. Even when they don't get what they want. They don't seem to go to that place of going, God, I'm angry with you because you don't give it to me. They don't seem to go to that place, well, I don't believe in God because I asked for this and he didn't give it to me. They're willing to go, I don't understand this, this is the longing of my heart, but I'm going to leave it with God. And in between the answer and the understanding that might only come after death, I'm going to walk with him and trust him, even though there's an emptiness in my heart because what I desired and what I long for isn't met. 
There's mystery in this life. There's mystery in God. There's mystery in relationship. That those who don't get the desires of their heart are not less loved and those who do get some of the desires of their heart are not more favored. We spin it that way. If you have many things that you desired, you are blessed. And God also says, to whom much is given, much will be expected. God doesn't love anyone more than another. He doesn't give some people treats and other people not. There's a mystery in all of this. But nevertheless, Zechariah served the Lord faithfully in the midst of unanswered praying. And so he comes into this place, this Holy of Holies, and he sees this angel and he's totally terrified. It's like I say I believe in God as long as he doesn't speak to me because then I go, whoa, what was that? That was God. I thought you believed in me and what I do, but I didn't mean now. Like when God reveals himself, how many of us are actually quite scared of God coming too close? I've spent a lot of time with lots of people, including myself, and most of us go, yes, but, no, but, yes, but. Our big issue is we're scared of losing control, and uh, another issue is we, we're scared of what God will want to do with us. Because the way we often interpret God is that if God has his way with us, it's going to be a negative thing. He's going to call us to do things that we're going to hate. And that's why we use the language like, what is the dream in your spirit? What, if, if you could do something with God, what would, what would you love to do? Because that's much more likely where he will lead you. But as Brad and Julia were talking about, God is saying yes to many of the prayers that are probably in our hearts. And he's saying, the problem is you won't wait. So you keep on grabbing alternatives to fill your need. And when you grab the alternative to fill your need, it inhibits my ability to prepare you for the, the, the real answer to the prayer you've asked me to answer. And what does that mean? He's saying, if you're asking me uh, for something that I need to build your character in order for you to receive it, part of what's happening in the waiting is that I'm building your character to receive it. Does that make sense? So God is always doing something. He's doing something in your life right now. He's putting something good into your life if you want to participate in it. But if you passively walk around saying, I'm waiting for God, it'll never happen. It's like somebody who said, I want to be a missionary and I want to speak to thousands of people like Billy Graham. And the person who was listening to them responded and said, so what are you doing about it? Well, I'm waiting for God to open the doors. So what are you doing about it? Have you spoken to anybody? Do you speak in front of anybody? No, not yet. Well, I guess you're not going to be speaking to millions because you can't even speak to ten. You want to be a worship leader. Lead worship in a small group of three or four. You know how many people want to be up front and you go, if you're not doing it in three or four, you're not going to do it up here. God is releasing opportunities for every single person here to serve him, to follow him, to be used by him. You just have to open your eyes and say, Lord, here I am. And so Zechariah spent all these years serving and then he got this incredible sort of uh, surprise, Gabriel talking to him and saying, you are going to have a child. Your prayer has been answered. And Zechariah, quite, quite understandably, 
goes, you must be joking. If Bill Cosby could do Zechariah, I'm sure it would be quite funny. We are old. There is no way we can have children. It seems impossible to me. And Gabriel says, well, God is able to do exceedingly more. Maybe there's some things that in your life right now are being held back because you don't believe it's possible. Maybe you've placed constraints on your life and said, well, by the time I'm 50, if this hasn't happened, then I'm never, it's never going to happen. And maybe God says, you have no idea what's possible. Stop writing the script. Let me be God. Let me love you. Let me walk with you. And so Zechariah and Elizabeth basically became pregnant with John and John was born to be John the Baptist. God's power at work, fulfilling the prophecy of Malachi 400 years earlier, fulfilling prophecies before that, preparing the way for God and his son. And a lot of what we've been talking about this morning is God's faithfulness. God's faithfulness. God is bigger enough to, to work in our lives, around our lives, if we will just allow him to, and we believe him for that. I'm going to show you this example, which I use every couple of years, just uh, because I like it. It's a good reason, eh? Anybody use this? Yeah? You know what it is? Helps you reflect. It's a mirror. Alice in Wonderland used it, right? I want to try and put in, in a very simple way, and this is, this is it, so you've got a real short sermon today. Um, what, what Christmas is about, what God is about, what waiting is about, what faith is about. We're talking about faith, believing God for what we don't yet see. So I bring out this thing that's always falling apart, but it's still here. Actually, I better be careful I don't scratch this. This is um, an old ring that quite a lot of you have seen over the years. I found it in a um, fishing village in South Africa in a in a pool, a tidal pool. It was sticking out under the sand and for some reason, I think the reason is that I'd use it, but I mean, I didn't realize that. I dug this thing up and I carried it home and I've carried it around the world. And it's, uh, it's on a sh it, was, it was part of a uh, coast of Africa that there were a lot of shipwrecks. And what this probably is, is the mast stay. In other words, a big mast would go through this on a sail ship and then... Uh, the, the supporting lines would be hooked in here in the holes that were used to be here. And so it helps that mast stay on a ship. But this thing uh, was obviously part of a shipwreck and it ended up in the ocean where it wasn't designed to survive because in the ocean it's corrosive and so the metal and the sand and everything else stuck to it and it became totally, totally disfigured. Lying at the bottom of the ocean probably for 80 years, I would think, at least. Now, if I talk to this thing and ask him who you are, what would he say? Or she say, I'm not quite sure what it is. 
The only thing that this object could say in its, from its reflection in, a, in the mirror would be to describe what it sees and says, this is who I am. And that would be its point of reference. That would be what gave it its identity. Whatever it could make sense of when it looked in the mirror and saw what was reflected back. Now, what if human beings... You and I are like this. What if the purpose of God and Jesus was to say, I want to tell you a story. One day, I created human beings. And I created human beings to be uh, like with big masts to support masts. And one day, the ship crashed and they sank into an environment that was hostile an environment that destroyed them and disfigured them and left them in a place where they had no idea what even went into this hole. They just knew they were holy. And so when they looked at each other, they just saw what they saw and they said, this is who we are. And then Jesus came into the world and what was Jesus? Jesus was, he looked like them, but he was different because he was a restored one of these. And the way that he lived, his character, he was a brand new one of these, like it was originally meant to be. And he stood alongside and he began to reveal to people what human beings are rarely meant to be. They no longer, he said, this isn't a true reflection of you. This is who you are in your fallenness. But if you look at me, you'll see who you are meant to be. And what I'm calling you to is saying, if you follow me, I will draw out of you and the things that were in it were originally intended to be who you are. Does that make sense? It's the same principle for restoring furniture, restoring anything old. So the question is, faith, there are two ways of living. They both begin with the F. We're talking about the F word this morning, right? Faith or fate. If you believe in fate, you believe that life is pretty futile, it's sort of whatever it is. If you believe in fate, you go, I accept life is full of curves, I don't know what comes next, I'm just going to survive it. Fate is about, I live with the circumstances in life that's been handed to me, and I hope I make it. And maybe there's a God, maybe there isn't. Faith is very different. Faith begins to acknowledge something. Faith starts, I'm going to just give you a few things out of faith and then we're done. Faith starts, F, with Father. There is a God, He is a Father, revealed in a Son, Jesus, who's poured out His Spirit to help us live life on earth. Faith starts with the love of the Father. You cannot have faith without the love of the Father. Faith begins by knowing that you are loved and that God has a purpose for you. Faith moves on to the A of faith by accepting that I'm not all that I'm meant to be. See, all of us know that inside. That's like looking in this reflection and going, something's missing. Now, Satan looks at your reflection and says, you're a jerk. Look what you've become. Jesus looks at your reflection and says, 
oh my, we've got some work. Faith is about believing that you are taken hold of by God and he says, let's start restoring your life. Let me bring into you and out of you what I essentially saw in you at the beginning. That you're very far from what I intended for you. That's why you have so many struggles. But it's because I, lo- I love you enough to say, let's, let's work on this. That's what people do who love furniture, who love motor cars. They restore things because they love to see the restored product. And God is really saying to you through Jesus, you're a work in progress. You're a restoration work in progress. My question to you this morning is, are you allowing that to happen? Are you allowing God to restore you? Or are you settling for less? The thing is, he's never finished with us. But ultimately, he's saying, let me keep my hands on you. Let's keep working. I'm going to work on this today. Next year, I might work on this. But I'm always working to build in you and out of you character. So faith begins with the Father. It continues with an acknowledgement. It's the same as the AA, actually. I am powerless in my own strength to bring about change. I need help. The eye of faith is about interaction. It's a relationship with God the Father in our lives. Are you, second question, are you interacting with God and with others to allow him to bring about the changes in your life? Or are you passively sitting around saying, if God wants to do it, he can do it, if God exists? If you, how are you interacting in order to enable God to work in you and through you? I encourage you to be interactive. Take responsibility for your life. Take responsibility for your faith. Take responsibility for your walk for God. And just let him teach you what the next step is that he wants to work in you. The T of of faith is trust. Trust him with the process. Some things go quickly. Some things take a long time. Trust him with the process. But you can't trust the process if you don't know the Father. That's why Jesus is so important. None of this is possible without Jesus. And what's what's the difference between fate and faith? Fate leaves out the interaction. There is no interaction. And fate also has no H, has no hope. And faith has hope. Because the greatest hope in the world is saying God has picked you up, God loves you, and God's working with you. So wherever we are in our lives here this morning, you can know and we can celebrate again that, Jesus, thank you that you hold me in your hand. Thank you that I'm a work in progress and I want to continue that adventure. That is faith. Faith is actually believing that God is working and despite all the stuff I don't understand, whether it's building an ark or I'm, I don't have children and I'm, I'm 60 years old, that God one day is going to bring things about that I couldn't see or imagine. Now, there's a huge difference, isn't there, between believing that God is working with you and in you and just settling for where you are now and saying, oh, well, it's pathetic, it's useless. So I want to pray that God will raise up in us, as we said, strength will rise as we wait upon the Lord. I I want to pray that God will rise up in us a faith that believes, that understands that today the challenges, the things that are in my life are what he's using to prepare me for the answer to the prayers I pray. Can you believe that for yourself? 
the circumstances of your life right now God can use to bring you to the place that you really want him to be an easy example I've counseled lots of people who want to get married lots and lots of times the people who want to get married and they sabotage the character building that God is doing in them because they can't handle being alone and so guess what they spend years and years alone because the, the issues in character that God is beginning to work out to bring them to a place where they can have a healthy relationship keep getting sidestepped. And they, th- those principles are the same for many, 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 many things. There's some people who want to have great jobs but they're never willing to do some work to study to get there. There's some people who, oh, you, could l- you run the list. We are called to participate with God. So be encouraged Look at your life as an adventure. Have a sense of humor about yourself. Realize that there's some beautiful things and there's some pretty disfigured things in you and me. And God is working on them bit by bit. And just say, Lord, what are we doing now? And then look right into the face of wherever you happen to be. And he says, well, I'm, going to te- I'm teaching you this now. If you're in a positive thing, then he's teaching you to receive. If you're a negative thing, go into the opposite of that negative and he'll show you what he's giving you. If you're in turmoil right now, he'll be giving, teaching you about peace and trust. So start thanking him for peace and trust in the midst of the turmoil, as Tish was talking about. And we need one another. So if you don't know what he's doing, get together with somebody who maybe has got a bit further ahead than you at the, in this area and say, what do you think God's doing with me? Because this is what I'm struggling with. And let's help each other to grow in faith and become all that he has for us. Let's pray. As you look at that disfigured object that I've held up, how do you see yourself right now? How do you feel about yourself? Because God's word to you is that he sees you as a treasure. God will not love you or me when we are fully restored. He loves us now as we are and so Father I pray against anything that would cause us to feel less than loved in our imperfections and our struggles and I break over this body and over individuals in this body the words of Satan that continually accuse and discourage and tear down identities And I pray release Jesus in your spirit words of affirmation, of love, of hope for our lives. Receive the life that Jesus has for you today. Receive the adventure that you're on. He he speaks to each one of us in our hearts and spirits right now and he says you would not believe what I have for you. He's smiling at you. This is not psychological babble. He's smiling at you and saying, you would not believe what I have for you. Can I use you? In Noah's day, Noah was the only man that God could find to use to accomplish his purposes. God will, I promise you, interrupt your life. He will interrupt your agenda. He will interrupt your plans. And he will say, can I use you? 
For some of us, we want God to work according to our agendas and he says, I will not do that. I will merely give you a hint, how long can you tread water? That there's an aspect of God that's fearful and he says, my time, I am Lord, I call you to serve me. And he wants to whisper to some of us, I want to encourage you where you have lost hope because there's some prayers that have taken so long to answer. And like Zechariah, you go, we are barren, we're not going to have children. And God says, never say never, trust me. Walk in faith and trust me. And so Father, as we come to break bread today, as we come to share in the communion, we pray that you would release faith in us in new ways, deeper ways, expectant ways. And pray, Holy Spirit, that you will encourage each one here to walk in faith day by day and to become all that you've created us to become and to be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.